Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and excited to be back with all of you today for a really, really great conversation. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Angela Champ, who's the head of HR at Alpine Building Maintenance and has worked in various senior level HR positions over the last 20 plus years. She's passionate about lifelong learning and inspiring others to achieve their best potential. Angela writes, blogs, and speaks on a variety of leadership, professional development, and personal growth topics. Her newest book is called The Squiggly Line Career, How Changing Professions Can Advance a Career in Unexpected Ways. Angela is an advocate of advancing women in the workforce, uh, founding the ICBC Women's Network, which ran for 10 years and is currently the president of Lean in Vancouver Network. Welcome to the show, Angela. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. So what I also want to add to the bio that I wanted to say once I introduce you is Angela is one of those people, uh, everyone who has listened to this podcast before knows that I'm always about lifting others, helping others rise. And I just want to give Angela a shout out in that she does this so beautifully. She is someone who is always, always happy, excited to celebrate others and help them rise and really, really emulates that in everything she does. Oh, very kind words. Thank you so much for saying that. So Angela, um, I always like to give our guests right from the beginning an opportunity to share a little bit more about your story, what got you to where you are now, and you can start anywhere. Sometimes people start back when they were the three-year-old, um, <laughs> some people start later in, in, in their school and education, but wherever you want to start in terms of, you know, what are some of those milestones on your journey that got you to where you are today? Sure. Um, I'll kind of start not at the, as a three-year-old, but maybe uh, as a teenager, which is, um, you know, actually, even as a kid, I've, I've always had a satiable uh, curiosity, curiosity about everything. And I think coupled with a slightly short attention span, it means that I've always gotten involved in a lot of things. I've always tried out for different clubs or tried different hobbies. Um, as a kid, you know, I, I've, I've never been um, shy to explore my interests. And I read a lot of books. And so I often will explore different worlds that way. Um, and, and that segued into uh, adulthood, when um, I decided that I didn't want to just settle on one career. Actually, to be perfectly honest, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. And so uh, I I completed an undergraduate degree in political science. And then I wrote my LSAT because, of course, that's what political science grads do. They go into law school. And fortunately or unfortunately, depending on on your view outlook, I didn't get accepted to law school, which which shocked me. I thought, of course, I'm going to go to law school. That was my plan. But maybe that was a bit of a blessing in disguise. And uh, what it did was it allowed me 
to um, explore all sorts of different um, careers, all sorts of different, try different things. And for a really long time, uh, right up until about my mid-30s, I always had two jobs. I had a day job and I started at ICBC right out of university. So that was my day job for 11 years, doing um, six different roles in over 11 years. But I always had a night job and you know, I was everything from a bookseller at um, chapters, I was a camera person at a, a TV cable network. I was um, a server at a restaurant. Um, I've just done all sorts of things as as a secondary job. And so that allowed me to um, explore different skills and learn. But one thing that I realized is that everything I did in my career is that there was a, a commonality, uh, even though the work wasn't identical um, and we weren't the same, there was a commonality. And that was um, anytime I had a chance to mentor somebody, uh, to coach, to influence, whether that was influence the direction of a company or a department or a decision, um, and to network and to do some speaking, because I love public speaking. Every single one of my jobs had some sort of element there, and there was a common thread in that. And as I got further into my career, I started to more deliberately explore um, careers or jobs that allowed me to do that much more fully. Because everybody has something in their job that they love and something that they don't love. And so my goal is to try and fill my job with more of what I love and less of what I don't love. Yeah, that's kind of how I ended up where I am today. Yes, I love that. You are multi-passionate. And I think a lot of people are multi-passionate and almost feel like, oh, they're supposed to have the job. And I love what you're saying, because I think it's even giving permission to people that are hearing that that doesn't mean that you're not committing and not focused. It just means you're someone who's experimenting, exploring. There's lots of different things that, that get you excited and that you're passionate about. It almost feels like it would be limiting you to not allow yourself that space to be able to try and be with different people and the extrovert that you are and the networker that you are getting to be having all of that relationship building that you're getting that opportunity in those different areas where you're working. That's so true. And, uh, you know, if you think about the 60s, 70s and 80s, people stayed in with one company or one job for 20 years, because that was the way that they went up the ladder in order to become the vice president, the CFO, the CEO, you needed to be at that company working your way from the bottom up. Um, and then and then things changed in the, you know, starting in the late 90s and in the early 2000s, there was less job security, people were less willing to stay in a job for 20 years in order to pay their dues. And so you found that there's been a shift. And so uh, I don't think that you need to be committed to just one job for 30 years in order to achieve your life goals. There's lots of different paths. There's nothing wrong with actually, by the way, staying 30 years in the job, if you love it, if that if you're still continuing to grow, continuing to learn, but but you don't have to stay somewhere for 20 and 30 years in order to have a fulfilling career. And, and that's really what I'm all about, too. Yeah, yeah, I agree completely. And it seems to me that that might be part of the catalyst for writing the, um, the squiggly line career, which I love. Cause I'm always saying to people in my coaching, I'm like, it's not linear. We're going to zig. We're going to zag. We're going to go in all of those different directions. So what was, what made you, what was the, I, when you're starting to write a book and, and birth a book, baby, um, there's, there's usually a, a fire in you that wants to get out and be able to express this. So what was, what was it in you that really made you want to write this book? So this is my second book and the the fire the the catalyst that that created this was first of all about 
oh, I want to say 15 years ago, maybe a little less than that, um, I wrote a blog post, actually, an article on LinkedIn about the squiggly line career, encouraging people to think beyond just their job title and that linear path to, to think about themselves in terms of skills and knowledge and not just the job and the tasks that they do in order to embrace a more fulfilling career. And that blog post had so many um, I don't want to say it went viral, but it, it had so much engagement. I was actually quite surprised by the reaction. And what I realized was people were really hungry for that message, almost, I want to say, permission to be able to, to consider themselves in terms of transferable skills and not just have to follow a linear path. So ever since that blog post, I kind of had it in the back of my mind. And I did a lot of um, keynote talks and you know presentations to human resources professionals about the concept of the squiggly line career. But um, in, in about January 2020, I thought, you know, maybe that this is the year that I'm going to write the book about the squiggly line career, not just talk about it, not just have an article about it. And sure enough, what happened was March 2020, the pandemic hit, um, everybody went into lockdown, a lot of people lost their jobs, a lot of people decided to leave their jobs because they were doing a lot of reflecting and deciding whether this is the life they wanted. And so while I was writing this book for, you know, starting to be a, a initially as a different uh, reason in January 2020 by by March 2020 or by April 2020 I realized people were hungry for this message because they were in the state of flux companies had shut down jobs had become redundant people weren't sure if they were going to be able to go back we were starting to work from home those jobs that weren't frontline and so the timing just seemed really perfect to get that message out there that that um, as a candidate or as a job seeker really think about yourself in terms of competencies and transferable skills and not a linear job title and for hiring managers and recruiters who were struggling to find candidates in what was becoming a candidate's market or a shrunken candidate pool how do you expand your talent pool so that you can find people that can actually do the job you want not people who have the job title that you think you need and so really that was a catalyst for the and the timing of it was perfect uh, for the book yeah yeah and so this is something I've also talked talk to about for a long time. So I love that we're getting to have this conversation um, from two perspectives. So I definitely want to spend some time talking about the individual and where they might struggle because they're like, yeah, okay, well, I have these transferable skills. And I even think about some of my coaching clients who are doing this too. And some of it's helping them recognize there's going to be some experimenting and exploring. Um, but I want to talk a little bit to them around, okay, so what does that look like if they're starting to be open and looking at their transferable? skills. Um, what do they do? Like, what does that look like for actually going out there and applying for positions? What are some tactical actions you would suggest for them? And then I want to talk a little bit around what happens in the organizations, because I think that they miss out a lot of companies on some amazing talents because they're staying in this box. And people who could be coming from diverse industries could be coming from other roles. They have so much to offer that organization and those teams. And there's some risk aversion that, that really has a huge impact. And I think these are both really incredible, important, incredibly important conversations. So let's talk, let's start on the, on the candidate side. So the individual who's recognizing, yeah, like 
you know what I, so I'm thinking of a client of mine as well, where she says, you know, I, I realize I've kind of fallen into all of my roles. That's been my career path. It's like someone says, you're awesome. We want you. And I kind of go, but now she's wanting to take a step back and do exactly what you're saying and get really clear on what are the things that I'm doing in my job where I feel like I'm in my zone of genius, zone of excellence, get excited, get fired up. And then, okay, I'm starting to recognize that now. How do I translate that to some roles that I can apply for? So the book is full of several of, of exercises, interactive exercises that a, a, a job seeker can complete to, to come to that answer. But I'm going to give you one specific example using your client. So the first thing I would you know recommend for her is to literally list out, draw, take a piece of paper and draw in the middle a circle and in it, write my perfect role. You don't know what that is yet, but you're writing my perfect role. And from there, start drawing lines out with every job that you've held. So a line and a circle, kind of if you think like a, a hub and spoke or, or a flower, if you will, depending on your outlook in life. And, and so you draw a line and a circle with that job, um, every job that you've had. And for her, maybe she wants to think about what jobs has she been tapped for? Um, what is it about those? What did people see in her? She was very organized. She was had good people skills. Uh, she was a great problem solver. She was creative, whatever. So for each job that she's identified or that, that a candidate identifies, um, list what it was about um, that job that people identified the skills that you were good at or that you love to do. They might not always be the same thing, by the way. You might be really good at something, but you might hate doing it. And so it's really important to be clear on stuff you are good at and stuff that you love to do. And so um, really write out what was it that people identified, like I said, oh, you're so creative. I think you would be great in, in marketing or I think you would be a good problem solver with our clients. So really write out what it was that people saw in her and what she loved to do. And then find, start circling where you see common themes. Like I mentioned in my example, it was about um, networking, mentoring, coaching, influencing. Those were the common words that were coming up in every single job of the parts that I loved. There was a common theme. Once you identify the common themes, you can really think about, okay, so what does that look like? What roles will allow me to, to um, really fully engage and use those skills? Not that's when you start thinking about the job titles. You don't think about the job titles to start with. You think about the job titles after you've identified what those skills and competencies are. Another way that you can do that is look at the work that you're doing right now. What are the outcomes of the work? So maybe my job is to phone customers, um, cold call customers and make sales. Maybe my job is to increase revenue by 10% year over year. Okay, so that's the outcomes, right? But what are the skills that allow me to do that and to do that well? So aside from talking about the outcomes, what are the skills? And that's how you start identifying what's transferable to other jobs, because maybe your next job won't be about cold calling um, clients to get them, but maybe it'll be um, being a technical specialist to help them um, solve their software problems. And so it doesn't have to be the same job, but it might involve the same skills. So those are some of the examples of, of things that tactically job seekers can do in order to help identify what that next step's gonna be for them.
Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I loved doing this because what we saw were some of the things that were in her zone of confidence or zone of excellence were exactly like you said, things that she didn't actually enjoy. People keep giving her that work because she's good at it, but she doesn't actually enjoy it. And then also getting clear on those different ways you can be pulling those skills into lots of different jobs. And the other thing we always look at as well is what are the core values as well? So that when you're looking at an organization, not only the role, but is that company really aligned with your values and the kind of place that you want to work? I know for you and I, and the people that I work with, they, they want to work for people first organizations, um, where, right. where there's those values are strongly held up in everything that they do. That's right. Yeah. And if that's yeah. something that's important to you as a candidate, that's what you need to be looking out for. Yeah. Yeah. And I say all the time, you're interviewing the company just as much as the company's interviewing you to see, is there going to be that cultural fit um, in a place where you can use your gifts and talents? It's going to be supported and encouraged. Um, amazing. So let's look at it from the organization's perspective for a second, because I can talk to you about a lot of candidates that I think the organization's really, really lost out on some top talents, because like I was saying, trying to stay in this box and wanting someone that was just like the person before who was in that exact role. So HR might be listening to this interview right now. A hiring manager might be listening to this. A CEO might be listening to this. What kind of advice do you want to give them in terms of these transferable skills and shifting their mindset? Oh my goodness, Kristen, this is, this is the, the area where organizations can have the greatest impact and really move the needle for themselves in terms of being able to find great candidates and expand their, their talent pool. The reality is that everybody wants to do work that is, you know, take the easier path because everyone's busy. You haven't got time. You haven't got time to, to maybe be, you know, you're looking at that resume, you're spending six seconds looking at it. You haven't got time to really, uh, 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 do a deep dive, but here's where they lose out. Because if all you're doing is looking at uh, past job titles and you're not looking at past outcomes and competencies, you are losing out. You're losing out on that candidate who maybe doesn't have the university degree or doesn't have the university degree from the from the university that you typically hire from. If you're always hiring from Laval, you're never going to um, find the person that that graduated from the U of Saskatchewan that's perfect for it, right? Um, or if you're always hiring somebody with a university degree. So first of all, I say to organizations, hiring managers, recruiters, really have a look at your job descriptions and challenge what's on there. Do you need 10 years of experience? Why not three? Why not five? With the way that the world is evolving, a lot of knowledge is becoming obsolete very quickly because new platforms are being um, developed, new applications, new software, new knowledge, new research. So if you're hiring somebody with 10 years experience in one particular discipline, are they actually current and up to date? Uh, have they been? So that's the first thing is, are the, does this person keep learning? Are they keeping up to date? Or are you hiring somebody with one year experience that's been repeated nine times? And so uh, really challenge what's on your job description. Do you need a university degree? Or is it is it something about the university degree that you want? Now, to be saying that I don't want to go to a dentist who doesn't has never gone to dentistry school, right? Like, let's just be honest here. And you probably need to understand how to read a financial statement to be a CFO. But for about 80% of the jobs that aren't um, discipline specific, you don't need I mean, I'm a political science grad, and I'm the head of HR, right? I didn't need to have an HR degree. I probably didn't even need to have a poli sci degree. 
right? Because it's, a, it's about a set of, 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 um, of skills. So look at your job descriptions and really challenge every, sing, every single thing out there. Secondly, think about the work and post it in terms of the outcomes, not the job responsibilities. So if you're looking at a salesperson role, let's say using that as an example, um, rather than saying you need 10 years of, of sales experience in uh, business to business, which might be what the person's doing, really look at, is the person articulate? Is the person persuasive? Have they been able to do that? So for example, have they been a head of volu a volunteer organization where they had to corral a hundred volunteers to do work that lots of people don't wanna do? That's persuasion, right? That's, that's convincing people to do what they might not wanna do. And so really think about it in terms of outcomes and not just in terms of job titles. The other thing is that when uh, an organization is really specific about the five years or 10 years worth of experience in the exact same job title, what they forget is that person's going to come over to you doing the work exactly the way they were doing it at their old organization. And if that's what you want, if you want to embed somebody else's processes and culture into yours, that's a great way to do it. But if you're looking for somebody to do it your way, you probably don't want somebody who's so used to doing it a different way that they're not going to be coachable. And so are they coachable? Are they learning agile? Can they do the job? Can they demonstrate through their volunteer work, through sports, through schooling, through other tasks? They have the competencies to, to reach the outcomes you're looking for and not just have the job titles that you think you want. Yeah, I think this is where there's such an opportunity for organizations. And it's really a gap that I see quite often, um, whether and I don't want to say it's not just for hiring managers, it's coming from HR and it's coming from hiring managers, because they have to be the ones who are also creating the business case and helping them think outside of the box and saying, yeah, we need to be looking at these things. It's interesting, because even as you're talking about this, as I when I worked in the assessment tool world and, and used lots of different assessments with organizations, these are the things they were looking for in the candidates all the time too. Like they wanted to see, do they have those behaviors? Are they going to be someone yeah. who naturally persuades, who can build influence, who builds right. relationships easily, um, who it knows how to collaborate and work with others, all of these different things. And I think if there's more emphasis on this and asking more of those questions, and, and I, I, can't, I can't agree with you more in terms of the university degree. And I've seen it even in other ways they've held themselves back where it has to be this specific master's program or this specific MBA. Um, to again, their detriment, because that individual brings so much diversity and learning. Now, if I start to see for the last 15 years, they've done nothing to take initiative, right, or do anything to learn. Okay, now I'm concerned, we see a pattern. But yes. that's very different than being so married and so um, focused on this particular degree from this particular university, I feel like it's what we see too often in organizations where we're seeing more checkbox exercises, yes, as opposed to really having valuable reasons for why they're doing it. And again, we do the checkbox exercises because that's the easiest path. We're all busy. And that's where you need to have as a recruiter, as an HR professional, as a hiring manager, you need to um, make that mind shift about how you're going to do it because it is going to take a little bit more time until you get used to doing it that way. And I, I do want to say I'm not against university degrees. Hey, I'm somebody who has an undergrad, I have a master's and I have two certificates and, and a diploma in adult education. So I'm actually a huge proponent of, 
of lifelong learning and, and schooling. Having said that, there's lots of reasons why people don't. Maybe they don't have the finance, financial resources to go to school. Maybe they had to work for a living because they helped support their family. Maybe um, they didn't have the grades to go in, right? They didn't get accepted. Like me, I didn't get into law school, right? Um, I mean, there's lots of reasons. Maybe they're new immigrants and they haven't, you know, they need to do a different path. So there's lots of reasons why people don't pursue school. So this is not about not having university grads. This is about expanding your 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 mindset about who makes a good candidate and really who makes a good candidate. I think uh, hiring managers and recruiters should look for these things. Does is the person learning agile? So as you said, Kristen, are they learning other things in different ways? Are they reading books? Are they volunteering? Um, are, do they have a growth mindset or are they fixed on doing things exactly the same way that they've always done it for the last 15 years? Um, do they have strong emotional intelligence? Because people who are emotionally intelligent are much more coachable and willing to learn. And so they're, they're, they make a much better uh, employee and colleague and all around human being, if I may say. Um, do, you know, do they take responsibility for themselves? And so these are the traits that you need to look for that are beyond just what's written on the resume with a job title. Well, and this is where ultimately the struggles happen because we have uh, organizations with a bunch of humans. So if you go in and you're able to get achieve results in terms of business outcomes, but you can't work with the humans speaking to emotional intelligence, um, there, there's going to be a huge cost to those individuals. And this is where I talk so often around the tangible and intangible. Um, when you have a toxic leader, the costs, are, there are so many hidden costs that you're not even realizing. Every time somebody leaves that organization, every time that person leaves that organization and talks to other people about that organization, all of the individuals who are staying there and might be working, but they're not engaged. And we've got a lot of presenteeism. There's, there's so many costs. So I, I really am glad that you, um, identified the emotional intelligence um, as someone who does a lot of work in emotional intelligence. I'm a huge proponent of it. And I think you've led us beautifully to when we start to talk about workplaces, um, you and I met originally from WorkHuman and being attracted to the WorkHuman conference. And I think the name just attracts, I've been using the language for WorkHuman for a while. And I think that name, um, makes a certain leaders just gravitate towards it because what we're trying to create. Um, so when you start to think about creating a human workplace, what does that look like for you, Angela? Uh, for me, it looks like, uh, first of all, honoring the person as a human being and not just a worker bee uh, who is a means to an end of making profit for the organization. These are people who have families and friends and people who love them and, and passions outside of work. Maybe they're, um, they do arts and crafts, maybe they're woodworkers, maybe they dance, maybe they're writers, maybe they play baseball. And so it's really about um, honoring the, the fulsomeness of, of the person and not just treating them as minions. The movie just came out, so I've got that on my mind. <laughs> Um, uh, for sure. It's also about being open to um, the rich experience that groups of employees would bring to you. So for example, being open to suggestions, um, new ideas, new ways of doing things, and not thinking that um, the leader of the organization has to have all of the answers or should be the only one who can dictate the only answers, um, but really being open to, to, what, to, to what others contribute and taking advantage 
advantage of that richness. Part of being a squiggly line careerist or taking advantage um, as an organization of the squiggly line careerist is that what you do is you take ideas from different industries, from different professions, from different hobbies, from different books and ideas, and you um, you synthesize them um, to make it work for your organization. And so if you're not open to those ideas, you're certainly not creating a work human environment. It's also about recognizing people, thanking them for a job well done, recognizing them for their life milestones, and really celebrating who they are as, as people and not just as a means to an end. Yes, 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 absolutely. I think everything that you said there is really, really important. And then it brings to me when you start to think about inspirational leadership, right? So to me, inspirational leadership are a certain level, a, a certain amount, different behaviors that show up in leadership. And from my perspective, leadership is a work in progress. You're never done growing and evolving. And so I'd love to first hear what your ideas of inspirational leadership, and then I'm going to ask you some questions around your leadership journey. So um, what, what shows up for you? If you were to describe some of the leaders who really inspired you and you're like, we need more leaders like this, what were they really doing that, that you thought they did um, really, really well and why people weren't so inspired to follow them? Um, so underpinning that answer is uh, somebody, a person that I've got in my mind that, again, showed really strong emotional intelligence. That meant that they were self-aware about themselves and could manage their emotions, you know, even in times of very high stress. They were always very positive. They're, not to say that they didn't have their, their down moments or their, or their vulnerable moments, but they didn't let that define them or let that be the only emotion they showed. And they were able to translate that in the relationship that they had with their team members, as well as their peers and, and the customers. So that would be for sure the underpinning or the foundation of everything. Um, somebody, uh, an inspirational leader, the person I've got in my mind is somebody who uh, stretched us. So challenged us to be, go beyond what we thought we could because they believed in our potential. Um, and that's some, certainly something, a uh, model that I've adapted for, adopted for myself. It's somebody who then, you know, continued, admitted when they were wrong, but also continued to work on themselves. Um, somebody who um, uh, really championed their people, right? Was it were good advocates for them, good sponsors for them, um, and were able to articulate to others within the organization in order to help their people and, and didn't, and weren't jealous about that. Because sometimes you've got leaders who've got team members and they don't want their team members to do well or get promoted because they're jealous of it. But when you when when your team member does well, you know, goes off to become the CEO of another company or or leaves an individual contributor role to become a manager, that needs to be a source of pride because perhaps you helped inspire them or 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 develop them to get there. Don't be jealous, be be inspired by that. So so to me that's my definition or or inspirational leaders that I've worked with in the past. I'm definitely had those elements. And so we want to also on the uh, on the show talk about leadership and that we're all works in progress. So when you think about for yourself, what have been some of the leadership lessons? What, what stands out for you for something you might be currently working on or something that you have worked on that has been a growth edge for you? 
Oh my goodness. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a person that still comes into the office every day. I know I'm in the minority, but I actually like coming into the office because I like that separation from home and, and work. And so usually on my drive home, I reflect on my day and I think, you know, what did I do really well today? And, you know, what didn't go so great? And, and um, I mean, luckily I have better days and I have non-better days. But one thing that I'm always working on is my patience. I'm a very impatient person. Um, you know, I, I've I've jammed a lot of life into a short time so far, and I figure I've got 40 or so years left. So I want to make sure that I'm I'm maximizing that. So I'm very impatient to get things done, to get through things, and and sometimes I find that um, from a leadership perspective, uh, that impatience can come out and and uh, show. Uh, in in how I'm I'm I mean you know that sense of urgency. So on the days when I'm saying, oh, you could have done this better, is maybe I could have been a little bit more patient. Uh, for sure, the, the, that that's one thing that I'm always continually working on with myself. Um, if I haven't had a, a good laugh. Um, you know, if I'm not laughing enough, like having fun, that's something that I'm trying to like. Don't take yourself so seriously, Angela. Like just like. Be, be less serious about yourself. And so really try and inject fun into my work and into myself and not taking myself seriously. That's something that I, I sometimes have to work on. And um, from a more practical and, and tactical point of view, as I mentioned earlier, the world is evolving. Everything is changing so fast. And it's really about staying current, staying current in trends in human resources, staying current in trends in business, in, in what's happening globally, how um, the political environment is affecting my work, how uh, the economic environment is affecting my work, and really staying on top of that. And so that's something that I work on myself all the time. Yes, yes. I think those are, I think even just acknowledging it and saying it out loud and just like we're all works in progress and, and that's the opportunity. Um, I always like to give my guests an opportunity as we start to um, finish off this conversation, whatever is showing up for you as a final thought that you'd like to leave with the audience. My final thought with the audience is don't be afraid to explore your interests. And I'm not saying you have to quit your job and go find another job in a different industry, but explore those volunteer opportunities, explore those hobbies, really take some time to see what's filling your well, even if it's for a short time, you try something, you decide this is not for me, or you try something, you say that was enough for it. And then once you do that, think about what was it about that experience that um, adds to your skills, your knowledge, your competence, and how do you translate that to your current work or to work that you wanna be doing in the future? Don't be afraid to talk about yourself or think about yourself in terms of skills that you have and knowledge that you have and not just the job title that you have. And if you are thinking about um, becoming a squiggly line careerist and switching professions and changing jobs, know that that might mean a lateral move. It might mean a step down. Maybe you're in a leadership role and you might have to go into an individual contributor role. But by, but, but by displaying the, the competencies of learning agility, growth mindset, emotional intelligence, even taking a lateral step or a step uh, down, you will shoot right up. And I really, really believe that. That's what I'd like to leave your listeners with. Mm, so good. And I always say to people too, it's like that, that next move is not the move for the rest of your life. That next move can lead to another move and another move and another That's move. That's right. Don't take that first action. You don't get to the next iteration. So true. Yes. Beautiful. Um, Angela, where can people learn more about, more about you or connect with you? 
lots of ways. First of all, you can go onto my uh, website, angelachamp.com. Simple, really easy, just my first and last name.com. Um, there you can find out about, uh, about me and about the books that I have, um, about where, how to order it. Um, you can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn, um, on Twitter at, um, at Angela underscore champ um, or um, through lots of different podcasts like yours. Love to hear from your listeners and would love it if uh, all of your listeners uh, checked out a copy of The Squiggly Line Career and and let me know how that might have helped uh, shape their next career move. Mm, Wonderful. Angela, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I always love talking to you, Kristen. You are such a light and a delight and really inspirational to so many people. Thank you. I'm very honored to be here today. Uh, I'm, I'm receiving that fully. And for everybody, wherever you are in the world, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. We're sending tons of love. Bye-bye. Bye. Please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace. Practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you. 